What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Adam Reedy. This is the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. I'm very excited about our guest today. It's Dr. Mitch Martyr, who's a biological dentist in the Seattle area. He's been practicing in this area for over 30 years. He was traditionally trained as a dentist, and at some point in his career, he became a biological dentist. Don't worry, today's episode isn't going to be filled with drilling sounds and cavity discussions. We're actually going to be speaking about a very humanistic form of dentistry called biological dentistry that looks at the mouth as a as connected to the rest of the body. So we have interrelations between our mouth and our cardiovascular system, our brain, and digestive tract, and a biological dentist takes this into consideration when choosing assessment and treatment of various oral health issues. Today's episode will go into discussions regarding mercury amalgams. We'll speak about the concerns about root canal procedures. We'll talk about the materials that dentists use in our mouths. It's very useful. Um, I didn't question a number of these procedures or approaches at all throughout most of my life. And learning from biological dentists has made me sit back and, and really think about how I want to approach my own dental health. And I hope this is useful for you. Please share the episode with other people, your friends, your colleagues, your loved ones. Get this information out there so that we can continue to broaden our understanding of how we can approach our health. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Dr. Martyr, welcome to One Thing. It's great to be able to speak with you today. Thank you, Dr. Brendan. We know each other both personally and professionally and shared patients over the years. And I've always wanted to sit down and hear some of your thoughts on biologic medicine. And there's a lot to cover today. So I'd like to just kind of dive in if that's okay with you. You bet. Great. So the first thing I'm really curious about, and I've, we've never actually talked about, is was there some pivotal, pivotal moment in your training or in your experiences that took you from a really traditional training in dentistry to the holistic or biological medicine field? Yeah, I get asked that question from time to time. Uh, I think several things sort of had an additive effect. Uh, my father passed away at a very young age, and my mother, even back in the 1970s, uh, was searching out alternative care back then for his cancer treatment. And that was kind of weird. You know, we didn't know about the things we know about today, and but it opened my eyes to a bigger world. Then in uh, dental school, I remember the day they taught us to place uh, silver fillings and, and gave us a warning, you know, not to, but don't touch it and be very careful when you dispose of the excess. And of course, the reason was because it's dangerous stuff, but it was still okay to place it in the in the patient's mouth. And I always had a little frustration and a, a moment for pause uh, during that teaching. It just didn't make sense to me that it could be uh, safe to put in the mouth, but we had to be very careful in the handling. It makes me think of the old time uh, thermometers when the when the mercury was running around on the floor and, you know, mom said, don't, uh, don't play with it because it's dangerous stuff. Right. And then la I think lastly, the, the most salient 
event happened about four or five years into practice. I was practicing fairly conventionally at that time. And a patient came to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm bound to this wheelchair. I'm only 40 years old. She might have even been in her 30s now that I think about it. Bound in a wheelchair. I want my silver fillings out and I want you to pull this root canal tooth. And I thought, well, this is a little scary sounding to me. I'm a young practitioner, probably 30 years old myself. But we went through a protocol and removed uh, these things from her mouth. And sure enough, by the grace of God or, or whatever, uh, she was able to uh, get out of the wheelchair, started uh, holding a job at the Nordstrom perfume counter of all places. And she went, and she went from someone who was kind of a, a universal reactor, reacted to everything, to someone who uh, was able to hold down the two jobs and, and, and get out of her wheelchair. I, I was dumbfounded and started to question, wow, maybe the mouth is connected to the rest of the body, you know, different from my original training. And, uh, and that was the beginning of a long career where I've really looked beyond what I was taught in my conventional uh, dental upbringing. It's an amazing story. Wow, thanks for sharing that. So that, that's a really great explanation for us to understand you know, what, what can happen with treatments that are related, you know, that involve biologic medicine. I, I wanted to back up for a second and just talk about my understanding of the, the key difference between biologic medicine and traditional dentistry. And my take is that biological medicine looks at the dentistry as a connection to overall medicine versus looking at dentistry as kind of this specific area of interest that focus on um, oral health. Um, Biological medicine seems to um, interconnect or integrate with the field of medicine as a whole. Is that a fair take? I think that's a that's a that's a good uh, take on it. Uh, I think I would also add that conventional dentistry tends to be fairly mechanical, so almost uh, like you're working in the in the wood shop and you're going to try to build a nice uh, cabinet. So uh, the the focus is more on getting a me- a mechanical device uh, to work on a tooth that's going to service the patient well, allow chewing, but really has no connection to anything outside of that function. And it's that in, in essence is the shortcoming in a lot of conventional dental philosophy. Okay. So let's, let's actually think about the patient that you described earlier is, I think that's a good framework for us to discuss some of the topics that um, pertain to your your practice. So let's talk about mercury and its neurotoxic effects and what people are more susceptible than than others. Yeah, the uh, as 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 we are aware, mercury is a neurotoxin. That is, the the different forms of mercury uh, can lodge themselves in all body tissues, but especially fat and of course the brain and the nerve sheath, the myelin sheath around all nerves is made up of fat. So the mercury will lodge itself in the fat cells and affect neurologically uh, the, the, the patient, the organism. Uh, also other 
neurotoxins, uh, other metals play that role as well. But in the case of mercury in particular, uh, which is involved, which is in the silver fillings, it escapes from the silver filling and then affects the people, uh, especially neurologically. But it also can affect them in terms of their immune function, their GI system. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's the connection. Okay. And it even, even can affect dentists that are practicing with these materials, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, uh, dentists, dental staffs, you know, the, the dental assistant, the dental hygienist, because they're exposed to placing and removing these fillings all the time. So precaution uh, has to be taken uh, should someone decide to remove the silver fillings. Uh, I, I, my belief is, and, and it's been proven with vapor meters and things like that, that uh, the exposure to the mercury is increased to the patient and to the staff if, if protective measures are not taken. Uh, so, so care has to be taken uh, in removing the placing, if you're going to place them, I suppose, but in removing them as well for everyone's protection. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk about, you know, mercury is just kind of like a blanket term, but what we're talking about from my understanding when it relates to dentistry is the vapors of mercury. Is that correct? Yeah, the mercury comes in different forms, inorganic and organic forms. But what we're mostly talking about in dental mercury is the vapor that comes off the fillings. Now, the, that vapor comes off the fillings in normal chewing, when you're eating uh, hot foods in particular, hot drinks, chewing gum. Uh, and it comes off the fillings uh, for, the, for the lifetime of the filling. It doesn't just come off in the first couple of days or years, it continues to outgas, so to speak. And, uh, and especially in that moment when the dentist is drilling it out, even if you're not drilling it out for the reason of removal, let's say you have a, a silver filling and the dentist says, oh, you need a crown on that tooth. Well, the silver filling is gonna be removed uh, prior to the placement of the crown. And so there's another exposure to patient as well as to dentist and staff but but yes mm -hmm. it's the it's the vapor in the dental setting now when you start talking about uh eating too much uh, uh uh old fish tuna or big big fish like that who've accumulated the mercury uh then it's a different form that that's a different form of mercury but all all mm -hmm. are so all our problems right so there's a there's a limit that people can tolerate. Um, however, can you speak to that? Certainly, we're all different. You know, one of us dies from a bee sting and the next person, you know, it doesn't affect them at all. We all have our, our own uh, detox pathways. And so some people are very sensitive to these kinds of metals, uh, mercury in particular, but other metals uh, and other people, it doesn't really affect them uh, too much. And it, it basically speaks to the the, uh, the liver uh, enzymes, the, the, the P450 pathways, basically the detox pathways in the body uh, through the liver uh, that allow people to uh, handle those kinds of challenges and threats. Certainly some people more mm -hmm. affected than others. Yeah, so like in my practice, you know, someone who has a high degree of chemical 
sensitivities overall, just as a kind of a global term, would be someone that would likely be more affected. Um, is there any other surprising subpopulations of people that you've seen in practice that maybe don't present as chemical sensitive that seem to have issues with mercury and the toxic potential toxic effects of mercury? Well, this is all anecdotal uh, because, you know, no one's really, really uh, that I know of uh, funding that kind of research. But I would say that people with certain SNPs, certain like the MTHFR SNPs, people that are mm -hmm. showing genetic uh, predispositions are, are more likely to be affected uh, by these kinds of <clears throat> immune challenges. I just don't, I, I think we're at a state now in the, in the whole genetic profiling that we really don't even know who's who. So the best right. we can do is, is sort of treat it blanketly. And that is to say, you know, you're not well, you know, uh, you're presenting with these uh, maladies, these diseases, these symptoms. And, and what we can do is go through and identify the, the straws that might be on this camel's back. And let's start removing them in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a safe fashion with protective protocols and good detox measures. Uh, and so the, the sicker people obviously are gonna be the ones that are gonna show up and become candidates for this kind of, let's call it dental cleanup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, I took my nebulized glutathione this morning in preparation for my next question. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so with what I'm what I'm interested in hearing is when we've talked about this briefly. Uh, I'm just fascinated by the the level of precaution and care you take when you actually do go forward with removal of mercury. Um, can you? talk to that, uh, talk about that and just sort of some of the processes and procedures that when you're doing mercury re removal sure. that you take that might, yes. might not be commonly practiced? Yeah, the first uh, two sort of check boxes that I demand uh, of my patients is to have um, the naturopath, the physician, the uh, let's call it systemic health doctor, uh, prepare the patient uh, on a cellular level. That might include uh, a detox protocol, uh, just making sure that the systems are stable enough. Some people come in, they want their silver fillings out, but then when talking to the naturopath, they have such a gut dysbiosis or, or liver detox problems to begin with that they're not ready. So systemic preparedness is the number one checkbox. Uh, second, mm -hmm. Secondly, I demand of my patients that their gingival health, their periodontal health, the gums, are, are pretty healthy. I don't want, we mm -hmm. can't have bleeding gums and in that environment, drill out a silver filling and then think mm -hmm. that we're not, we're not adding a, a bigger load back into the system. So the gums should mm -hmm. be pretty darn healthy before removing any of these metals, but specifically mercury. Um, then that's all prior to the treatment day. Uh, then on the day of treatment, uh, I like people to get some vitamin C, uh, either an IV, you know, depending on the, on the naturopath's uh, predilection and philosophy, uh, a glutathione like you brought up, IV, a vitamin C IV, 
something to support them at the day of uh, removal. Usually either at the time uh, we can do it in my office or uh, afterwards the next day or two. And then mm-hmm. now starting to talk dentally in particular, uh, we have to have an environment that's well vacuumed, well uh, uh, cleared. And so we have high speed vacuums, not only at the dental chair, but in the room itself, a filtering system mm-hmm. that vacuums the mercury vapor from the area of the mouth during the drilling. Uh, drilling should be done with uh, high volumes of water. That also seems to keep the vapor, I guess, in solution. So it's not gaseous. Mm-hmm. And then speaking of a gaseous exposure, uh, I believe a rubber dam should be used. Some dentists think Mm -hmm. they can control it better without the rubber dam. But in my experience, I I demand the dam. Uh, So that's that's sort of a a device that isolates the area that you're working on? Yeah, the rubber dam uh, creates sort of a tent uh, between the teeth. So the teeth come through a piece of rubber and that, that dam, that rubber, uh, creates also a block so nothing can go down the throat or even, uh, mm-hmm. even into the gums. So it's a detective barrier uh, that, that allows, again, for a, 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 a separation of the workplace, the removal itself, and basically the throat going into the mouth. And then, and then mm-hmm. lastly, I think lastly, not lastly, but in addition, we will uh, cover the nose with either oxygen, which is also controversial, or sometimes some dentists in this field will use a, a nose mask that's just the hose is down to the floor, so they're breathing room air. There's some question, some controversy about oxygen uh, being somewhat dangerous because of opening the blood-brain barrier uh, to the mercury, but I've been using oxygen for decades, and I think that that's a legitimate, anyway, covering the nose is the point. So now you can't breathe where that removal is. Um, and then we use uh, uh, either an activated charcoal or a, or a chlorella uh, seaweed or other uh, solutions uh, under the rubber dam to help sort of mop up whatever little piece might be missing. Uh, little mercury that may have snuck through. Uh, and that's, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much our protocol. Uh, we do some good rinsing with chlorella or charcoal uh, after the procedure, and then the person is free to go uh, with their detox protocol on board, checking in with their, their physician uh, afterwards. Okay. So if, if, if I look in my mouth and I see sort of silver cavities. Can I pretty much rest assured that those are made up of approximately like 50% of mercury or what's, was there a certain um, timeline in the history of dentistry where um, the mercury content in fillings was less or more? No, no. If you look in your mouth and uh, if you see these fillings, I would almost call them more often black in color than silver, but but yeah. yeah, we've 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 called them silver. Uh, they're about uh, thirty-five or forty percent silver. At the beginning of a of a filling, when it's placed, it is about fifty percent mercury. Uh, the only the mm-hmm. only change, uh, I don't remember now if it was in the eighties or nineties when they added copper 
to the amalgam to the alloy and uh mm-hmm. it was if, for some uh handling reasons handling properties uh and and it at that point when copper was added it increased the mercury absorption in the body so a high copper amalgam is actually more dangerous but by weight or by volume uh it, it it's always been about a 50% mercury mix okay yeah. so a patient when they go through this process are they coming in um do they have several amalgams removed in one visit or is it sort of a process where you do a few at a time uh, yes and yes uh, um you know depending on either logistics uh finances patient comfort or most importantly physician uh approval we can do any mm-hmm. combination i've had patients where and there is a philosophy that says let's just stress the immune system once because even in the best case mm-hmm. scenario this is is a systemic stress the removal mm-hmm. so there's a philosophy that says let's just get them all out in one mm-hmm. in one visit and we can do that uh but then i've had patients where the physician felt this person is so on the edge this person is so sensitive that really uh they can only do one filling at a time so any any mm-hmm. any range is is within reason and a, a lot depends on the on the circumstance uh, that, mm-hmm. that's, that's the best I can do. Makes sense. Okay. So, um, I think that covers good, a good sense around, around, um, mercury amalgams and the, the risks and concerns about mercury. Maybe, um, this next segment, what I'd like to do is, um, can we talk a little bit about root canals, just some basic information about some alternatives to root canals and why biologic dentists um, like to discuss alternatives to root canals versus just sort of concluding that that's the best treatment of choice? Sure. Uh, Well, backing up a step, uh, talking about the basic information, what is a root canal? Uh, Most root canals are needed uh, when a tooth uh, dies, basically. It, It becomes... Uh, uh, infected the nerve of the tooth inside the tooth becomes infected. So, so the problem with the root canal philosophy, according to the holistic view or the natural view, uh, is that we can't really get rid of that infection. The infection is throughout the inside of the tooth, which is literally uh, miles, I think uh, an average tooth has about a mile of canals if you put them end to end. And those canals are- Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, all those canals are filled with bacteria. Well, the root canal treatment, basically you can see it on an x-ray. It's about, uh, you know, an inch and a half long. They basically fill the major canal. So all these accessory canals are filled with pathogens. And, and mm. that's the concern. Therein lies the problem. So we've got this dead, infected organ that we're saving in the body. But we don't do that mm-hmm. with the appendix or the kidney. You know, if those gallbladder, mm-hmm. if those organs become infected, we have to remove them. We resect parts mm-hmm. of the bowel. 
But for whatever reason, we've decided we could leave an infected organ in the mouth. So now, so mm-hmm. now what happens is the meridian, the energetic meridian, is blocked by a dead organ. So you've stopped, yeah. you've stopped the meridian flow through that organ. Also, okay. from an immu- immunological standpoint, our immune system is always walling off against these teeth because they're recognized it recognizes these teeth as infected and uh, uh something that it has to fight against so we're always on alert we're our immune system is always on alert about these root canals and again of course people are living with root canals and and enjoy a modicum of health but there are those mm-hmm. canaries in the mine shaft i like to say you know, the ones who maybe mm-hmm. can't handle mercury and they can't handle mm-hmm. a root canal. Or maybe they can handle two, but that third one at age 57 throws them over the edge. My, my, right. my experience has been, if you, God forbid, you needed a root canal when you were 15 years old from a, from a gymnastics accident, you do better with that mm-hmm. root canal than the person in their mid-40s that already has some immune depression who now needs mm-hmm. a root canal on a back molar that was infected and had an abscess. Those, mm-hmm. that root canal is going to be more salient in their immune profile than the one that they got when they were 15 years old. So what, what do mm-hmm. we do? Well, we can try to treat quote unquote, the existing root canal and you could use some alternative ideas like uh, if your uh, listeners are familiar with uh, frequencies like rife frequencies, um, you can use essential oils. You can try ozone injections. You can try light, you know, laser light, infrared light therapies. And all of these mm-hmm. probably help a little bit, but it's kind of like, you know, why don't we just give you an antibiotic? Well, yeah, the mm-hmm. antibiotic would help for a week or two. Aside from, mm-hmm. aside from whatever you think about the antibiotic. But then after a couple of weeks, it's going to come roaring back because the infection is still in that closed system. Mm-hmm. And so even with laser and ozone and uh, frequencies and oils, essential oils, homeopathics, you know, you're going to get some success. But in the, um, the, the stance in the alternative community is is to uh, uh, remove the tooth, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, that, you know, is, so, so in upon removal, you're doing some extra stuff like ozone to help kind of clear out those, which I didn't know is like a mile worth of bacterial canals. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've, I've read that. I've, I've never laid them out in line, but, um. Uh, yeah, you mean in the removal itself of the of the tooth? Well, yeah. What I've heard is, yeah. you know, you're 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 extracting, but you're also doing an extra yeah, cleaning. Yeah, yeah. That... The, um, so let's let's go back to this now. So if you have an infected tooth, then invariably you're going to also have the area around the tooth will be infected. Uh, that's in the ligament of the tooth. There's a little ligament that mm-hmm. holds the tooth to the jawbone. And then oftentimes spread into the jawbone. That's the dark abscess spot that the dentist sees on the x-ray. 
that's in the job. So when you take, when it is removed, we take precaution to then clean out the crypt, the uh, socket of the tooth with uh, with mechanical instruments, a, a, a drill and a, a, a hand instruments to clean, clean out the canal, the, the socket, I'm sorry, clean out the socket. Uh, oftentimes I'll use, or all the time, I use ozone, both in the uh, form of gas and, and ozone water. And then uh, we'll use a, a, a laser. In my office, we use different lasers, but now I'm talking about a CO2 laser, not an infrared laser, to, to, to sterilize the bone. And then we'll take a, a person's blood, pro, blood, we do a blood draw, and then we take um, uh, uh, what's called a PRF, which uh, is a fibrin portion of the blood, and we'll fill that in sometimes with a bone graft back into the socket and, and mm-hmm. suture everything up. And then we're, we're, we're finding a better, uh, uh, um, less, less pain from the extraction, better healing of the, mm-hmm. of the extraction site, less chance of dry socket, you know, secondary infection, uh, better chance for, if necessary or desired, better chance for a replacement tooth, an implant, uh, and even without an implant, this idea of rebuilding with healthy bone uh, is important to restore uh, the energetics, you know, the meridian, to try to minimize uh, a scar, quote unquote, uh, in that area to again cause either uh, uh, immune immune stimulation uh, in that area or uh, a scarring in the electrom in the um, the meridian itself. Yeah. So, um, just for our listeners, the um, and we will have another episode where we can talk about this, but some of the referrals that you're saying to or reference to meridians that you're talking about come from this um, interference theory where um, various scars can form in the body in different places in the body, which can block um, meridians from a Chinese medicine perspective. Yes. Um, so, well, this has uh, been really helpful for me. I, I feel like it stimulated a lot more questions that I have and, and also um, interest in what you're doing. Um, is there, just to kind of leave us today with, with some things to think about, is there anything that you'd like to share about your practice, what you're, what you're up to these days? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a few things I would like to just mention in closing. Uh, first of all, uh, in, in, in every, every patient that comes in, we, we look at their plaque uh, under the microscope. And uh, that's something that's not done in most dental practices. I imagine most of your listeners uh, will never have experienced this. But obviously, mm-hmm. we live with uh, trillions, uh, I think, uh, other microorganisms, inc- of course, including our mouth. We know it's a quote-unquote dirty dirty place. And so we will look at people's plaque under the microscope and that informs us better in terms of their gingival, their gum health, uh, you know, rather than saying, oh, you need to floss more and make it all about the mechanics Mm -hmm. of keeping your teeth clean. What we, what we're, we're talking about reducing particular bacteria and in some cases yeasts and in some cases, even other parasites uh, that we see in the mouth and with different uh, herbals or in some cases, even antibiotic rinses, 
um, we can mm -hmm. we can uh, change those that microflora, and I believe that helps with gut dysbiosis uh, as well. I know it does because I see it in my practice mm -hmm. all the time. Um, oftentimes, the people with gut dysbiosis also have mouth dysbiosis, if you will, and we're able to screen for that with every uh, every visit. So I wanted to mention makes I wanted to mention that capacity in our office. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that we never talked about was the issue of mixed metals. We villainized in our conversation the mercury. But remember, a lot of people have a mouthful of gold, a mouthful of other metals, sometimes under mm -hmm. a, an apparently white crown. There can be lurking mm -hmm. metals under those crowns. And in my experience, mm -hmm. having these mixes of metals can be just as bad and in some people worse because of the electromagnetic uh, change, uh, currents, the microcurrents in the mouth. And I think that should be mentioned. And then lastly, I wanted to give a shout out for zirconia as a, uh, as a product, as a dental material. I find that for the most part, it's a healthy material for most people. And using zirconia in our implants now, they are uh, non-metal implants, and we're using zirconia in many of our uh, crowns and other restorations. So I wanted to mention that term. All the dentistry in my practice now is uh, zirconia or other porcelains, or in some cases, of course, for regular fillings, we're using uh, um, BPA-free plastics and other uh, um, acrylate-free uh, plastics that seem to work fairly well for for most people. So I wanted to Amazing. I wanted to mention those yeah. things. That, that's wonderful. You know, you think so many of us have just kind of gone to the dentist in pain or in agony or for our preventative checks, and we we don't even ask what people what they're using and what they're putting in our body. But you know, we'll we'll certainly think about it when we eat or with, with what. Um, that we drink out of as far as like BPA free cups, but you're getting these exposures um, and most people don't even think twice about it. And it's really great to hear the level of care that you take with your patients. And, you know, I think also, you know, hearing about your office and it's a kind of toxic free environment, even you go to the level of, you know, what you built your office with. Um, so I think this is, you know, really inspirational to me and, um, Sure, it, it sheds a light as to why this field of biologic dentistry is, it's really a whole person, whole medicine approach, just like, you know, kind of naturopathic medicine, functional medicine is. Yes, yeah, Dr. Rini, thanks for saying that. You know, I, uh, it's strange and it kind of brings us full circle now in the interview, but, but we've been taught uh, that the mouth somehow is separate from the body. Look, even even the dentist, it's a whole different profession. Uh, and uh, in the insurance industry, you, you don't have medical insurance for your mouth. You have a whole different insurance. So the whole world is based on this idea that in the mouth is somehow not a consideration. Uh, so it's, mm -hmm. I get many patients who see a naturopath, they swear by organic foods, but for some reason, they've never even thought or heard of that there could be such a thing as naturopathic dentistry. So thanks for acknowledging that. I'm excited about my profession. It's kept me alive uh, uh, for practicing with interest and excitement for as long as I have now 
uh, 38 years. So uh, um, it's uh, uh, thanks for acknowledging that. And uh, uh, I've enjoyed uh, our time together. Great. Thank you, Dr. Martyr. And we'll uh, hopefully catch up sometime soon. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Take Bye-bye. Care. Hey, this is Dr. Rini. This is some concluding thoughts for our episode with Dr. Mitch Martyr. I just briefly wanted to say there was a couple of times where I called biological dentistry, biological medicine. And even though that was an error, it's actually accurate because biological dentistry would fall under the umbrella of biological medicine. I apologize if there was some confusion, but biological medicine and its offshoots such as functional medicine, integrative medicine, and naturopathic medicine, looks at the biology of the process that's going on in the disease process and tries to address it with treatments that address the biology versus suppressing symptoms. So it is accurate, but I apologize if that was confusing to people. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share this widely, like I said. Um, I'm really interested in your thoughts on how the podcast is going for you. I have many episodes in production right now and i look forward to getting this information out to you you can always check with me at soundintegrative.com and also we have a new instagram page for the one thing podcast and you can look at for us at one thing podcast on instagram i also post a lot of information on my instagram page at dr.adam.rindy and on twitter at Dr. Rindy. Um, we are trying to get this information into the hands of and ears of lots of people. So we appreciate your help in supporting our production and the growth of this podcast. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time on the One Thing Podcast.